Hi, I'm Kathy Englund, and I'm a violinist with the Fort Collins Symphony. Um, I was born and partly raised in Illinois, moved to Kansas when I was um, in fifth grade. But my earliest musical memories would be when I was in first grade, I remember I really wanted to be the soloist in the church choir. I pictured myself um, at the edge of the balcony just belting it out. And anyway, thankfully for everybody concerned, that's not the road I went. <laughs> not It's not my gift. Um, and then I really wanted to play flute. But I said I am a violinist, but I wanted to play flute. But um, back in the day... You couldn't start band instruments until fifth grade, you, but you could start strings in fourth. So I reluctantly took the violin in fourth grade because I really wanted to do music, but I knew I was going to switch to flute as soon as I got to fifth grade. And um, as luck would have it, we moved between fourth and fifth grade, and I ended up in Kansas, and I thought, this is great. No one knows. Um, beginning of the school year, they said, anyone here um, wants to go to interested in band, come on down. We'll have, there's a meeting tomorrow morning. And I went there. Who wants to play flute? My hand went up. And I was all ready. And the next day, the orchestra teacher was at my house. I hear you've already played violin for a year. You, you cannot go to band. You will play violin. Anyway, I was not a happy person then, but I'm very happy now. And I actually, I think within days, I got over it and um, don't look back. Um, continued to play anywhere I could all through. In junior high, I was very fortunate to be in a school system that had um, actually even a full orchestra in junior high with winds. Continued through in high school, did that. Um, I knew when ninth grader I had made my decision I was going to be a musician, and that was my goal. So I did go through and um, I got my bachelor's degree at a small college in Kansas, Bethany College, and it was a really good place to be. It was small, didn't have all of the, maybe the fancy trappings, but I was able to play in everything. There since it was small, everything that came down the pike, I did um, operas and just anything that was in the area. So that I, was a great learning experience. And then um, I ended up um, in Fort Collins getting my master's. And I got my master's of music at CSU and started playing in Fort Collins Symphony at that point. I have had two different rounds with the Fort Collins Symphony. I played with the symphony for three or four years while I got my master's. It took a little longer to get my master's. And then from there I went and played in Colorado Springs for four years, I think, and then the Wyoming Symphony for three years. Went and uh, did a stint up in Bismarck, North Dakota, where I taught at the college and also did some playing. And then I found myself back in Fort Collins nine and a half years ago. So I'm in my 10th season back as a full member of Fort Collins Symphony, and so my life has kind of gone full circle, and I am very happy to be back in Fort Collins. When I was with the symphony, 
During my master's, I was fortunate enough to play under the original founding conductor, Will Schwartz, and he he was an inspirational man in many ways, and he was also my teacher at um, CSU when I got my master's. And when I returned nine years ago, um, the orchestra had made great strides, and um, it was really fun and exciting to come back and get in and play with um, Wes Kenny. He's a he's a great conductor, and I um, it was it's a different experience than when I was getting my master's. The the symphony has um, grown up, I would say, in a lot of ways. When I came back, um, this. The symphony definitely had changed in a very positive way. Um, back in the days uh, with Will Schwartz, there were, if you were in, involved in the graduate school, for sure you would be in the symphony. You did your audition. And then when I came back, and I, I'm very happy I had done other professional auditions in the meantime because it was a very different. It was a very different um, situation to be in, and um, I was felt well. I felt very happy to to make the cut again, <laughs> and know that uh, that that was um, where I could be. I think, without a doubt, the quality of the group has gone up immensely, and we have great players now, and it's. There's no question of its level and being a professional organization now. Growing up, music wasn't, music was always part of our life, but not professionally with us. My mother sang, and she was a good amateur singer, but mainly church choir and that kind of thing. My dad was an organic chemist, and he played clarinet in high school. I know that, and I have seen old films of him <laughs> playing in the marching band playing clarinet, and I remember seeing the clarinet in the closet. But really, um, it was, I kind of went out on my own to make that decision to be a professional musician. It's, it's interesting me to, today, as a teacher, I do quite a bit of teaching also, and um, I have... I'm a registered Suzuki teacher, so I have taken many, many young children over the years. And I will get parents calling me with their four-year-olds, and they'll be telling me, you know, so my, my child has been begging to play the violin since she was two, or she's been begging to play the violin since, since she was three. And I used to take that in my head and go, nah. But now, I, when I get that, I know it's true. And the exposure, the parents may or may not have made an effort for exposure, but I think we're lucky that it is out there and we see it. For me, I actually have no idea where I came up with doing what I wanted to do. I, re I vividly remember my first grade dream of belting out those solos at church. I remember that. And I have no idea why I wanted to play flute. When I was a child, I know that we had music in the house, and I believe the radio played. 
when I first decided to become a professional musician, teaching wasn't really on my radar. Although I look back now and I do realize um, that I come from a family of teachers. My mother's parents were both teachers and my dad was an excellent teacher. Um, but it was not something I looked at doing beyond just the simple, well, I need to make a little extra money here and there. Um, so I taught, I actually started teaching in high school, and I taught a few students here and there over the years. When I was in graduate school, I had my first full studio. And um, interesting then to where I am now is I really just had no positive things to say about the whole Suzuki philosophy of teaching. When I would get students that had start told me they had been with Suzuki, as I look back now, I realize they really hadn't done the Suzuki philosophy because they weren't prepared in ways that, that I know now they would have been. Um, so I did that for a while, and I started to really enjoy working with the kids. When I was playing in the Colorado Springs Symphony, which is it's now the Springs Philharmonic, um, someone came to me and said, you know, I have a whole studio of students that I can give to you. And I was looking for students, but, but, you have to promise to go and take Suzuki teacher classes because my, I teach with the Suzuki philosophy. And so in my head, I'm, well, hey, great, I'm going to get 20 students. Sure, I'll go do that. I don't, I don't think it's any good, but I'll go do that. And I went and took a class with the man who at the time was um, very high up in the Suzuki. He ended up being the president of the Suzuki Association of the Americas. And I fell in love when I found out really what the tenets were. Suzuki is not a method, as you might hear. It's a philosophy, which means it's very individual. You just take certain tenets being um, involve your parents with little kids have them listen so they know what they're supposed to be sounding like and um, teach them. The, the term in Suzuki is to teach with love. And all of those things are just good, basic <laughs> musicianship. And I fell in love with it and found myself taking more and more students. And um, even if they're what you might call beyond Suzuki age, you still use the same philosophies. If I have a 16-year-old, um, a their parents don't come in their lessons anymore. But, of course, 16-year-olds um, don't have their parents help with a whole lot anymore. <laughs> um, it's all just a very natural progression with life. Lots of parents help at the beginning. Um, and then, as the children mature, at some point, we mature, less help. So in that time, so I started with that full Suzuki studio. I took that when I went up to the Wyoming Symphony and had a, a large Suzuki studio there. At, when I was in Bismarck, I, had, I was the director of a Suzuki school plus teaching. I taught at the um, local college. I was the string teacher there. And... Um, as I've discovered over the years, it's actually a very selfish profession in many ways because um, I 
was, um, I want to say, made a lot of friends with all of these people. With doing Suzuki, you start with them very young, and I would have students for years and years and their families. And um, at one point, my own children grew up with my studio. They played with them liter- in play and in music, and so it was a large family that it became. And the other thing is I discovered is that actually teaching helps your own playing a lot. When you're a teacher and you are having to analyze why is so-and-so, what, what is their problem there? I used to go home and be in front of the mirror and try to imitate why something wasn't working and then I would realize, oh, that's what it is. And then I could apply it to my own playing and go, well, this would be easier if I did this or that. So um, see, when I was younger, I didn't see the value in it. I wanted to just be a professional performer, but the value is there in many, many ways to do the teaching part, besides just the fact that it is a good, it can be a good supplement. A lot of times Suzuki gets bad rap, and it, for a number of years it, it was probably earned. Suzuki started in um, Japan, Dr. Suzuki was actually a man, and it um, wasn't the motorcycle. <laughs> and he, one day, a friend came to him and said, can you teach my four-year-old to play the violin? And Dr. Suzuki said, sure. Dr. Suzuki went home and said, what did I just agree to? I, I don't know how to teach a four-year-old violin. So he started thinking about it, and he made some very smart correlations between playing the violin and reading and language skills. And it occurred to him that um, little toddlers, if they grow up with a Mandarin language, which is an incredibly difficult language to learn, they don't have a problem with it. They just, they learn Mandarin when they're two. And um, so he based this whole thing on teaching it as if you were learning language, which means you hear it, you imitate it, you refine it, and then, yes, you, you read it, but first you play, you, first you do the oral part. And, but along with the reading is, like when I teach, and if I teach a four-year-old, oh, from the very first lessons, we start talking about the alphabet and the music alphabet. And just like with reading... Um, with language and reading, uh, you don't necessarily expect a child to really be able to read a book, maybe until six or seven, but it doesn't mean that when they're nine months old you aren't giving them alphabet blocks (laughs) to work with. So it is all based on that. And the reason I think some of the bad rap came about was Dr. Suzuki did this all in Japan, and in the early 60s he took a group of students to America, and they played, and these were nine-year-olds playing the Bach double concerto all for memory, and they did everything for memory, and teachers were like, wow, that's wonderful, and they don't use music, they just play that all memorized, and they and they, they have good ear, and they said, that's great, and they went and started a whole generation of students that um, did not read music. <laughs> But that has come around, and now it's like, no, no, no. We, we also have to teach how to read music. It's part, of, it's part of the whole thing. And the ear training, 
I do remember when I played the violin, when I, my first year I was playing and experimenting, and bless my mother, I love my mother, but I vividly remember her coming back and saying, what, what song or what piece are you playing? What are you playing there? And I said, oh, I'm just making something up. Oh, don't do that again. You use music, always. <laughs> and um, so I was very, I, that was kind of uh, my moment of improv, <laughs> and, and it went away. And I wasn't trained to do improv after that, but I will tell you that one of my proudest moments at a wedding, after I'd been teaching Suzuki for a number of years, I'm at a wedding, and a little boy comes up to me and says, Can you play You Are My Sunshine? And I did it. <laughs> and that was a moment where I was like, I can play by ear. And it was actually from teaching Suzuki. So that's another positive for me is um, I my ear really developed after teaching kids how to develop their ear. So I, I have seen in my teaching that the ear, I would be on the vote of it can be taught. The problem is some people need more teaching. For real, and, and it's the family environment. Um, I had a little girl who could not play twinkle in tune. Same note, F sharp was always out of tune. And I suggested to her mom, I said, why don't you help sing with her? The girl was four or five. I said, help sing with her so that she can hear what twinkle should sound like. And so the mom sang and sang the F sharp out of tune exactly the same as the girl was playing it. And I had a little moment, and so I had Dad sing, and he was just fine, right on and everything. And it was fine, the mom understood, but we just kind of made a decision, Mom, don't ever sing for her. <laughs> and Dad, you sing with her. And the little girl got over it. And she was able to play in tune and sing in tune. So, um, But some of, that, some of that ear stuff goes way back, way back to... Um, you know, even prenatal ear training. So, I see from my own experience personally and teaching, uh, this ear training can be taught, and we all have to work on it. And some of us are just given a little easier start. For me, I say I'm proud of my moments of like being able to play "You Are My Sunshine," and I had to work at that. And I've actually I've improved in terms of improving and ear training over the years. I've gone from that moment at a wedding reception to I was in an Irish band for a few years and one time we were on the steps of the Capitol playing for a fundraiser and it all of a sudden occurred to me that everybody else had not taken had taken the repeat and I hadn't we had music and it occurred to me I was like I have no idea where I am on the page and I just kept playing and and it worked and I was able to do that. It was a little bit panicky feeling to know that I was standing up there and I'm the only only string instrument and there's a mic on me and I'm making it up until I find figure out where we were. Um, and it doesn't happen tons, but I, I do do lots of gigs and there are definitely moments where the, something happens and you just have to kind of play with it. Um, I played an entire wedding piece it was the focal point of the wedding and uh, it was an interesting piece the subtitled written in my bathtub and it kind of sounded that way and um, 
So it was hopeless. I had no idea where anyone else was because it was very... I played for probably five minutes playing chord tones, and it was fine, and everyone thought it was beautiful, and I was totally lost. But I wasn't in my ear. I could just keep figuring out what they were doing. So, um, And that, that all comes back to a real positive of teaching, is, is um, teaching, teaching children to use their ear like that. When I started violin, I was in that... Um, I was in the school system when I started violin that was very supportive of the arts. It was a small town I grew up in, in Kansas, but it had a four-year liberal arts college in the whole town, very much supports arts. So not only did I have a full orchestra to play in from seventh grade through twelfth grade, but we also, all the way through junior high for sure, we they had school instruments. And so... I was able to use a school instrument until in high school at some point my parents decided to buy an instrument and I started on a $50 special (laughs) at that point. They bought me a $50 violin. I played on it for a couple years. When I went to college, the um, cello teacher heard me play and she said, you need a better violin. <laughs> that That's not the best violin out there. In fact, she said, I have one in my garage. I, I'd like you to play on that. <laughs> she, so I played on that for a year or two. And um, I put myself through undergrad as uh, working as a nurse's aide. And I saved my pennies and bought my first, what I would like to call, real violin when I was a sophomore in college, I believe. My first real violin and bow. And ironically, it was from a dealer in Longmont. I had never stepped foot in Colorado at that point, but my teacher had. And the instrument came by Greyhound bus and went and picked and sent a couple. And I tried them out and picked out the one I liked and then sent the other one back on Greyhound bus with a check <laughs> for the one I kept. And from there, I th- um, I can't speak for other instruments, but I can tell you that violins are, they're an investment. And most of us have gone through the step-up process. So I bought that one. My first violin was $1,000 and the bow was 200 And from there, um, I would just periodically trade up. And with the violin, what some people don't know is the bow it can make the instrument very much so with the violin and bow i mean at a certain level you definitely a good violin is going to outweigh a, a good bow i suppose but i know um for me i started with my thousand dollar violin and my two hundred dollar bow i moved up i believe the next step i took was to upgrade the violin and then then i upgraded the bow and then upgraded the violin again. Um, at one point, the value of my violin and bow f- far exceeded the value of a friend's violin and bow, but they had their investment in the bow and not the violin. Their setup was much better than mine. Um, now, if you would have played that person's violin with my bow, oh, 
that uh, that violin would have sounded awful. But it was amazing when you looked at the money involved in the two together, having more in the bow ended up with a total better a better setup. So I've been through on each the violin and bow. The violin I am on kind of my dream violin now, but it would be my it's my fourth or fifth. I'm, I think fourth, but I'm I might have missed one in there. Um, and ironically, it is made by the guy I bought my first violin from. It's a handmade. It's a Reeve, and um, a lot of people along the front range have his violins. Actually, they're very good, and that's so. That's that is my violin, and I love it. Speaking for myself, and I think a lot of people, you just you get one, and then you save up a little bit. At one point, I. I didn't have the money, I didn't think, but you managed to find it, right? But I had this violin that I wanted. I had had my sights on it. And I tried to get a loan, and I'll tell you, they don't loan for things like that very easily. So most, you know, a lot of it is saving up and just, like I say, stair-stepping your way to the instruments you want. And um, it's, I always think it's kind of funny sometimes when... You're a professional musician, and you you have to invest a lot in your own personal equipment that maybe people don't realize how expensive it is, even to the point where I think think it's like we have to bring our own pencils. <laughs> and if you go, you know, if you go get you know an office job, you walk in with your coat and your purse, and you put it down, and you've got your computer, you've got this and that. Um, it's to me it's it's just kind of one of those deals you make trade-offs in life and I'm very happy with what I did but sometimes you can sit back and kind of laugh at the irony of <laughs> of what you what you earn typically versus what you invest and you go well but it's it's a life that's something that I I have say a number of students and I have taught students who have gone on to be professional musicians but most of them don't and thankfully not because they couldn't do it but because their their heart isn't where that is and as I tell um, families every more often I'll get a mother who will say do you think they can do it do you think they should be a music major in college do you think and as I tell them I say you know I will support anyone who really wants to do this I will support them I will never suggest, encourage that they go into it because it's it's the profession that I really think has to come from inside, and um, and y- you live it every day. You even back in college, I I felt kind of bad, but I remember my f- freshman year. Col- uh, First of all, college was wonderful because all of a sudden you just have 14-week semesters and then you've got six weeks off. And and I remember the last day on campus and and thinking, well, all those chemistry majors, they're going to go home and they're they're going to go home. <laughs> they're they're going to watch TV, do some movies, read a book, visit with family. I'm going to go home and practice. <laughs> and it it wasn't horrible otherwise I would have quit my quit right then it was but it was a reality that um, the musician's job doesn't stop 
when you're in school it doesn't stop when you go on you're you you live your job in a lot of ways some people and if you're not cut out to do that so that's why I say I will never encourage or even suggest to someone you should be a music major if they come to me and say you know I would like to be a music major what will it take I'm right with them and I'll help them along but never ever push them into it for me um, I actually I made like I made my decision as early as ninth grade I remember that that I was at that point deciding I was going to be a music major I was involved in the local college playing in the orchestra there and stuff while I was in high school and I made that decision but I actually did have a very viable choice I'm I'm really good at math always have been um, and bless my dad he always wanted me to, to have chosen that road but I knew at that age though that math ironically I want some people won't won't understand this I enjoy it and wanted to do it for fun and I didn't want my career to get in my way of, of having fun just messing with numbers and, and doing things like that um, I I knew it was an option but I never once considered it it was the the, the passion that spoke if you want to use that word which I'm not a real flowery person but it really was it was I knew that's what I was going to do is that I was going to be a musician and everything that encompassed and to me the handwriting was on the wall that to go into math was going to mean going into computers and stuff and I have no interest in that I like numbers despite the fact that I think I would have been successful if I had pursued my math talent so to speak and gone into that probably could have gotten a good job with um, you know Hewlett Packard or something that was up and coming um, one of the things that I think is really neat about being a musician and with all of the hats I wear I, I teach I play in symphonies I've done weddings I've parties, birthday parties, receptions, opera, ballet. I've done so many different kinds of music and I love playing it all. Um, I love doing one one orchestra, it was an Eagles cover band and we all got at one place, all the violins got to stand up and play along with it. It's wonderful, I love it. And one of the practical things is you'll hear people say it's not practical. Um, but one of the things that I found over the years, and especially with the bad things that happened in 08 and different things, um, you have your traditional jobs where you go in and you have your job, 8 to 5, whatever, and it's a good job and that. You can go in and you go in, and one day you go in and they say, you're fired. <laughs> I might lose a student, they might move, I might not play as many weddings at one certain place anymore but you know you have a lot of stuff you can do and you, you I have to say you probably have to do it right and build your career but know that you're multifaceted and um, as someone who's a musician you've always got something to fall back on and people you hear people say well you're going to be a musician what are you going to fall back on and actually um 
you can fall back on being a musician because if again I have to keep saying to anyone you know looking at doing this as a career you've got to really want it and it's something that becomes part of you and you have other things you can do within your field and you find I prefer to do this or prefer to do that but I can also do this if I need to or I can do that or um, it, it's pretty amazing when I look at that and I look back and I go yeah Every once in a while I sit back and I kind of smile and I say, I did it.